it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Beer as a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly, and here we try and make sense of what is happening and better understand the issues shaping the industry. This week, we continue our swing through the High Country Brewery Trail, and return to Beechworth, and this time to Bridge Road Brewing. Bridge Road Brewery's founder, Ben Krause, has been a regular guest through the life of this podcast, but as we discussed last year, he planned over a couple of years to set the business up so he and his family could move to his partner's home of Austria and live there for a couple of years. So this conversation is the first time we have spoken with Bridge Road's CEO, Donald Mace. After our recent chat with Fermentum's Ben Summons and Stone and Woods Nick Boots, business transition is something of a theme on Beer as a Conversation, and in this conversation we discuss with Donald how Bridge Road managed the process of letting its founder step away from the business while letting him step into it. We also learn a little bit about Donald himself and discuss the importance of breweries such as Bridge Road to their community. It's a great chat, so enjoy my conversation with Donald Mace from Bridge Road Brewers. Donald Mace, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, mate. As I said in the intro, uh, you are the CEO or Chief Executive Officer of Bridge Road Brewing. Um, ben Krause would have to be probably the most frequent guest on, on, on the 10 years of the podcast because he's been around for a long time and he's always got something to say. So to our audience, you're probably not the best known guy in, in, in beer. So maybe start off with a little bit of the, uh, the story of uh, what brought you to Bridge Road. Yeah, sure. So uh, my background is originally from Melbourne, working for Ernst & Young Consulting in a finance capacity and consulting capacity, and did a bit of travel to the UK and then went, ended up at CUB or Foster's at the time. So just to give a little bit of context, what years were what was this? So 2006 through to 2008 and was part of the the Fosters splitting the beer and the wine. I was going to say the, so, the South Corp era. Yep. So the, the internal split, so I was part of that, that project. Yep. You come from the, the background of uh, business into beer. What led you into uh, the, the business of beer? So I always um, thought I'd move into beer, loved the product, obviously. Um, having lived in the UK for three years, uh, discovered some interesting beers over there. Fuller's was my favourite beer, so London Pride. I lived about a kilometre away from the brewery, so um, that was kind of my first exposure to that. Um, so I came back to Australia and started getting on board into the, the beer scene. Um, wanted to work into industry, industry instead of working for a consulting business and was uh, lucky enough to, to work for Foster's. And how long were you with them for? Uh, about three three years. Oh, okay, so so that was into the sort of twenty early 2010, to late 2000s. Yeah. And, and where did you, because you didn't come straight here. No, from... no. So then my wife and I decided to do a tree change 10 years ago and moved to the beautiful Beechworth area. Uh, I've got two young boys and I grew up in country Victoria as a kid and always hoped to move to the country at one stage. 
my wife and I came to Beechworth in the middle of winter, freezing cold, foggy, said to her, we're just here for a holiday, don't fall in love with this place. And of course, that was the worst thing to say. So she was screaming down the middle of the road going, this is so beautiful, so amazing, we, we need to move here. So the rest, the rest was history. And what was the employment prospects for somebody who's come up in big consulting firms and then a very big yeah, brewery? Very daunting. So basically we quit our jobs and came to Beechworth, bought a house and had no jobs. So after a couple of months of enjoying the Beechworth summer, um, started a bit of a job hunt and I was lucky enough to get a role at Mars Pet Food who have their national head office in Wodonga. So it was a very soft landing to, to move from a, one corporate to another corporate. So it was very fortunate. How, how long were you at Mars for? So I was there for about three years. Um, enjoyed my time um, and then decided to take a bit of bit of time off as a house husband for a year and um, while I was doing that I was helping out a friend uh, with some some consulting businesses so, so consulting work and he needed a little bit of help to help develop the strategy for Ben and Maria for Bridge Roads so I put my hand up to help him and um, we worked through the strategic plan together with Ben and Maria. So your time at CUB, you were working through the demerger or the, the, the split of the, the, the wine business. Yep. Were you involved in the, the, the business of the making and selling of beer and understanding the strategies that were going on to get beer on tap? And uh, To some extent. So it was more around, as we were splitting the two businesses, we were looking at what that sales force looked like. So how many reps did we need in which territories? What were the pushes? What were the prime? Prom- primary focuses um, some reps were more about wine others were more about beer so so really just a kind of helicopter view around that so when you ended up working for your friend who's a consultant and working on Ben's account yep how did Ben who's a very passionate advocate for independence and uh, you know, um, against big breweries what was his uh, attitude was he a little bit distrustful at first no or? no no absolutely not um, you know he had the the early insight to think, okay, if I want to take this business to another level, I need to get some help. Um, I need to get some advisors and, you know, I'll, I'll listen to what they'll say, but I'll still make my own decisions on, on things. When you came into the business, Ben's obviously been a, a bit of a stalwart for the industry. Um, not the very first, but still very early in, in the craft beer wave. Um, he's been very um, passionate about championing the, the region and the brand um, but he's also been fiercely independent and, and quite outspoken. What did you find when you stepped into the business? You know, what was your what was your feeling about the business? Oh, ab- absolutely that. So I, I wanted to work for someone who was passionate about the industry. So someone who you, you know they're they're working towards the benefit of the business. Um, and also I wanted to work for a business that was growing and developing, and also something that was local. So Beechworth and to try and spread the word nationally. Uh, so so it was fun and exciting, really, really to be p- part of that. Daunting as well, obviously, as you mentioned in the intro, you know, the face of Bridge Road Brewers being, being Ben. So having somebody come in uh, early on to, to help um, was, was very, very daunting, actually. At that stage, Ben hadn't advertised for the CEO, had he? He was just getting consulting and working on the business. So um, part of the recommendation that we did, which I was part of the recommendation, <laughs> was to put a CEO. So yes, I did probably create a job for myself. No, no it was actually a... a, a proper transparent process and I was um, lucky enough to put my hand up to say yep, I wouldn't mind going for that role. And you'd seen the inside of the business by that stage I guess yep. so so you were pretty confident 
in the position you're applying for? No, not really, to be honest. No. Oh, not, not that you'd get it, but pretty confident in the future of the oh, business. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the product is a standout. The story of Ben and Maria and how they started the business is a standout. So it had all those elements uh, to it that I thought, yes, this is, this is a business that's going, going somewhere. Um, when we first arrived in Beechworth, you know, this was the place that we came to, to the venue to, to have beers, to let our kids play in the playground and, and eat some pizza. So it was definitely a recipe for success and something I wanted to be a part of. One of the things that's fascinated me over the last year or two of uh, Ben's journey is the fact that you, you, you've seen the very steady, almost organic growth of the business. They've never you know, invested, you, as you see with some breweries that suddenly get a million dollar investment or a two million dollar investment and suddenly shoot up in size and scale. Their growth has been very, very organic. Um, and then 12 months ago, Ben said, right, I'm going overseas, taking a sabbatical for uh, two years, taking the family. Um, and it just said so much about Ben's approach to business that they've been able to manage that. How important is that mindset that Ben's brought, do you think, to the Bridge Road story? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we want to be a sustainable, profitable business for the for the future. So, um, you know, we'll be doing incremental growth, not crazy growth, because I think you you make some decisions that you probably don't want to really live with and potentially might damage the overall industry. So we want to be sustainable. And, you know, when I first came onto the business, um, one of the biggest challenges was to maintain that culture or to really understand what that culture is. So we developed our cultural icons, which you can see on our packaging, and part of that is to do most of the work ourselves. So 100% brewed in-house, so we're very much about doing things ourselves, which requires a slower slower growth trajectory. It means that we're actually more sustainable and therefore living within our own means as well. What do you think of Ben's decision to consciously... Uh, it's a bit of a loaded question when it's not meant to be. Um, ben made the decision to, after what, 15 years of developing the business, um, he had family reasons. Uh, Maria was from uh, Austria, wanted yep. to take the kids, give them that grounding in that part of their culture um, but also I, I guess after 15 years that's a long time to be driving a business yourself it was obviously a very like it was a well thought through but a very clever strategy on his part to um, avoid you know the things you hear founders fatigue yeah absolutely then we've been planning this for three over three years to get to that stage uh, I think founders fatigue is a, is a, is a big thing. Uh, you know, it can be anywhere between seven and 10 years when you start losing that, that, that interest and, and that drive. And I think, you know, Ben wants a business that's sustainable, which means employment for locals here. So he recognised that, you know, there is a, there is a need to bring in external help and assistance to help drive the business in a in its next journey. Um, you know, he's, he's amazing at what he can and has done, both from a brewing perspective to a you know manufacturing to a marketing so he's got all all the attributes there and now it's time to bring some more subject matter experts to help kick that along as well so yeah you know, he's he's worked so hard and deserves all the rest that he, he's getting at the moment in austria so without um you know disrespecting ben or anything like that but what didn't the business have when uh, someone who had a bit more of a business background stepping in what did you bring to the business that may not have been here 
before Ben? Yeah, some of the, I guess, the, the boring stuff around structure, I guess, um, whether that's to do with procedures and processes that need to be in place as you start growing, you know, simple things around payroll and making sure that that's looked after after well. Um, having a, a, a sales focus as well, which we hadn't really had in the past. We'd used commission people instead of now changing our strategy to, ha- to own our own destiny and, and uh, recruit our, our sales force as permanent employees. Um, so there were some of the gaps that we needed to, to bring on board. Um, and also probably a little, little bit more forward thinking around you know, the two, the three, the five year kind of space as well. Interesting you talk about the salaries, the salaried sales staff because yep. that is a big commitment um, to a business that if you are looking at expanding new markets and you've got a permanent sales rep on or a full-time sales rep on that is maybe earning 55000 60000 a year plus on costs plus the yep. costs of employing them, that's a lot of beer that you need to sell to make the profit yeah. to, to, to pay that. Yeah, absolutely. But... You know, we firmly believe that the people that we're employing are people who align to our culture and our values. So those type of people are going to be the best people to sell our beer. You know, they're the ones who are going to be able to put the story across, tell um, the story of Ben and Maria, tell where Beechworth is, um, and really be that personal connection so that when they do turn up to a pub or a bottle shop, they're actually providing great value to that customer as well. So... Owning that destiny, um, making sure that we go to market in the, in the same way, really offering um, excellent service to our customers is, is really important for us. We, we know it's a slow slow burn, but you know I guess you need to invest um, early on to, to build that market presence. Um, we're very strong in Melbourne, obviously, and, and Victoria because we're close by, but we start to lose some of that local relevance as you move to Sydney and, and, and further up to, to Brisbane. But we're investing in those cities because we see the opportunity for, for great beer in, in more locations. You make it sound that it's more than a sales role, but it's investing in brand by having that sort of sales role rather than just a commission sales agent. Oh, absolutely. You know, they, they need to align with our, our values and, and, and be part of the, the business because people buy beer off people. You know, they're, they're not transactional. We, we don't want them to be transactional. Um, we don't want it to be a corporate model where it's a tick list of um, compliance. It's, it's very much how can I help you? How can I help your business grow? You know, what are the things that we can do to help um, bring people through the door or promote so that, that you've got this event on or fix your taps? You know, those, those simple things that do make a difference for, for our customers. How big a risk was it though? I mean, it's it, it, like anything. To, to, to say this is a good idea um, is one thing, but nothing comes without a, a monumental oh, risk. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a big risk. Um, you generally won't get a payback for between two and three years um, once you're starting to invest in those, in those cities. So, so, yeah, it does, does definitely take time. Um, I think our expectations probably five years ago of how quickly people would get up to speed have changed dramatically in, in, in the last 12 months um, with a huge amount of extra competition. So it's, it's not, as, not as easy to send pallet loads of, of kegs to a venue anymore. It's, uh, there's, there's, there's still that one tap that you're competing against and often you're competing against it on a rotational basis as well. So how long have you been with the business now? Almost five years. Almost five years. And you would have seen... Yeah, we're almost talking dog years in uh, brewing these days. You must have seen even a huge change with 
in five years we've probably seen 200 additional breweries pop oh, up absolutely absolutely you know you you see every every town every almost every suburb um starting having a brewery set up so the the key key to that is that localism people want to have that sense of community and and they get behind their their local watering hole or bottle shop and therefore they're getting behind their 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 local brands so it's it's a lot harder to become a national brand um, with that localism or hyper localism that's occurring at the moment do you consider bridge road to be a national brand yeah i do we've we've had some great success through woolworths and dan murphy so so uh, yeah absolutely and i'm you know it was very very um humbled to be voted number six in the gab's hottest 100 this year for our beachworth pale ale so so that's showing that we are getting some great exposure and national national presence particularly in victoria which one of the Having seen how the Hottest 100 played out this year, there's been a lot of talk about parochialism and having vibrant, um, engaged communities voting. But Bridge Road has been around for a long time. Um, you, you did send out some emails. You've obviously got a community that's built up around the brand. But for a Victorian brand to be doing so well, um, and there were a couple of Victorian brands that have uh, featured very highly it, so obviously there are some strong brands there. Yeah, definitely. If you've got national distribution or to some extent, you know, across multiple states, you're, you're definitely going to get those those votes as well. So um, it's not just a marketing effort that really gets you the votes. Obviously, we have a very loyal community. We, we love those guys. But it's also, you know, like I was saying, the sales guys, sales reps getting into venues, you know, you, you need to have that awareness um, and that ability to purchase that beer. Otherwise, if you can't try it, you're not going to vote for it. So we're, yeah, quite lucky. But we're also not talking about the latest sexy, uh, you know, sexy beast. We're talking about good old beachy pale getting yeah. up there. Yeah, still keeps going strong. I think I still think it's the best pale in the in the country. It's the most flavoursome for sure. <laughs> so, so you know, we we we're really proud of it, uh, and um, that's what we always talk about when we when we're talking to customers or. Or punters. I've got a, and I haven't checked, but I've got a fairly strong recollection that Saison has been there or thereabouts for a number of years, and I've got no idea if it even featured in the top. No, it's a difficult one. As a style, it's probably not recognised as, as well, but those people that are loyal to it, they're very much. Um, they're they're onto it. It's absolutely one that I use a lot uh, through yep. events, but again, I guess that goes back to the days when it and the uh, beer de garde were mm-hmm. um such novel beers that's um, right does the beer de garde even exist anymore no, no. i haven't done it for a couple of years but it might make a comeback <laughs> well that's the nice thing about beer even when they're deranged they 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 never no longer exist cause uh, no the recipe's still still here yep but the, the saison's there and I, but I, again it's a nice little microcosm for there weren't very many saisons being brewed back then it was a very yep. traditional style but it was still exciting. And yep. these days, I think just about everyone's had a crack at a Saison before they moved on to Brute IPAs or yeah. Strawberry Milkshake IPAs. And ours has virtually stayed the same, identical from when it was first started. It was one of the first beers that, that um, Ben brewed. So so it's really maintained that quality and, and that consistency there too. So what are the big challenges that you're confronting these days on, 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 on the national space? TAPS is obviously one of them. Yeah, TAPS is definitely definitely one. Um you know, there's there's so many more players out there, um, and I think 
price is really becoming a hot topic at the moment. So um, whether, generally if I talk about keg pricing, there's, there's plenty of sub $200 kegs that are, that are out there, um, which some customers are taking advantage of, of brewers, but it's not really a sustainable part of our business if that is maintained. Is it a sustainable part of Bridge Road business board, or it's not a sustainable industry, sorry, yeah. the industry? So yeah. I remember seeing Phil Sexton um, talk at one of the early IBA conferences um, and talking about the worst thing that can happen is the race to the bottom, which we saw in the big uh, brewing industry. Um, but yet competition forces some people to act in a way that they think gives them an advantage. Yeah, and I guess it's depending on what their their insights or what their strategy is. Is their strategy volume and therefore very slim margins? Um, is their uh, strategy high high margins, therefore unique and interesting beers, which means that you can over-invest in quality ingredients and, and that's what we do. We don't compromise on price and we don't compromise on, on ingredients. You know, the beers that we want to make are ones that people are going to enjoy and have and be memorable. Sure, I can put a $200 keg in the market, but that would mean compromising something. So we're not willing to do that. And yet, and maybe I'm putting too much focus on it, you use the term over-invest as opposed to just invest in ingredients. Yep. Over-invest makes it sound like um, it's almost a mistake that you're spending too much on ingredients. No, we put a lot of hops in our beers <laughs> um, as, you, as you can try them. Um, no, so, so we're over-investing in those hops. So we probably okay. add, add more than most, most people would. You're also one of the things that Ben is most passionate about is the idea of provenance. Um, so independence is one thing, but also, you know, a concept that I got from Ben very early on in the days of this podcast was where he said, you know, people love to tell you that this doesn't matter, you know, that the name doesn't matter or w- whether they contract brew or not doesn't matter, but yet the fact that they label their beer after a place or the the things that they say show that it actually does yep um how important is beechworth to the bridge road story oh hugely important um we we know when people come to our venue and we do a brewery tour with them they they come going away with a great experience about what the township is all about you know they, they get to see and touch and you know experience what what we offer they get to see all our tanks they you know see uh, see our small batch you know they really get a sense of who who we are and we kind of extend that in the ingredients that we use but also our mayday hill range for would be a prime example of where we really talk about uh, providence so mayday hills was the original name of beechworth before it became uh, a township so we use that with our fooder tank um, we use local ingredients in each of the beers that we're we're producing for that that series of beers so we have we've used beechworth honey obviously um, iconic brand also nationally um, we've used kiwi fruits which actually there is a kiwi fruit about 20 k's down the road um, you know various different gra- uh, berries and grapes and things so really talking about that provenance and really spelt out in the labeling and the messaging that we're talking about so what's next um yeah ben's obviously away for another year i think uh it comes back about mid-year okay year. and and uh, how's it been going you know you, you haven't the, the kids haven't uh, sort of messed up the uh, the, the no, parents' house. No, it's been it's been great. It's been great. Like the like I said, we've been setting this up for a long time to get get uh, to allow them to take the time off. Uh, I think the the great thing about it has been that the staff have really ste- stepped up. So where we probably used Ben as a bit of a comfort 
blanket to just uh, uh, you know, ask him the question or what does he think. We've actually been able to think ourselves and say, okay, you know, let's let's make the decisions ourselves. Let's let's we don't need. Ben's approval for every single decision. Let's confident be confident in our, our abilities. That's why we're here. So we can make some decisions. As somebody that comes from the background of business and um, consulting and looking at the, the, the nuts and bolts of the spreadsheets, um, yep. which is the what, what I'm taking from the story that you gave us at the beginning, it, it, it sounds like building a documented culture um, has been important to that as well. So have you been responsible for driving that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the viewers can't see it here, but our culture is splashed around all of our um, offices and it talks about what's really important to us Um, because culture is one thing that if you get it wrong, you get it very wrong and it's really difficult to fix a a bad culture. So I I wanted to make sure, sure that we first of all identified what the culture is and then maintain that culture, so that you know ben, what Ben and Maria have set out to do is still is still true true today. And how much did you have to do? Because Ben, when Ben was here, um, and I'm just picking up on that idea that when Ben was here, staff fall into the habit of doing what people do, and they defer um, rather than back themselves or, or, or make the decision. How much consciously went into creating that ability that when he stepped out? People were empowered to make decisions. People had the um, tools to make the decisions and people also knew what decisions were the right ones for the business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I went through an exercise to kind of work out, I guess, you can take the basics of what someone's um, job description is and you can clearly articulate what areas they are accountable for. So I really tried to bring in the language around accountability so the buck stops with you and really try to say, well... You know, you're accountable means you need to do it all. So you're making that decision. Um, if you're responsible, you're doing something. But no, if you're accountable, you're actually making the decision. So really changing that language and making sure people were aware that they were accountable for those those decisions, um, which everybody has taken on fantastically. So you know, part of part of motivating a staff or feeling motivated is that if you can. Um, give them some freedom and some accountability, they're more likely to enjoy their job and they're more likely to be a higher performer. You haven't taken Ben's role in terms of people just bringing problems to you? Uh, a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's always a constant uh, challenge to keep teaching people to come with solutions rather than just, uh, just, just problems. But that, that's the nature of business and that'll be... The, always the case and how easy has ben found it to, to leave you guys alone and not he's been great he's actually been really good so um you know the first few months was very much about relaxing and you know enjoying himself um he's you know he's obviously kept engaged a little bit um we've done regular board meetings for instance over skype uh um and there's some things that we're getting him to to research and do as well so he's still uh, he's still aware of what's going on and i know he uh, checks a lot of the media outlets and the industry to uh, keep up with trends and things as well he's been very active on social media i, I caught up with him in germany late last That's year right. and uh and i've also seen that he's been very active on the facebook groups and weighing in on on when he's got something to say, yeah, 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 absolutely. He's a staunch advocate for independence, you know, and that's 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 really something that we're we're proud of and that we're fully fully part of. Now, one of the things we spoke to um, Ben 
18 months ago at the Hop Harvest um, Festival almost two years ago. Um, and at that stage, the, the volumes were starting to get up around the million litre mark um, that Ben was quite happy to uh, to share at that stage. And I understand that the, the headwinds have been a little bit stronger than with all of the new breweries, the increased pressure at tap points with the acquisitions and things. What's the strategy that you're employing now? Um, obviously, the organic growth is no longer in the market. The stuff that just comes because craft beer is exciting. There's a lot of new breweries coming in and starting to fill some of, if there is additional growth, they're starting to fill that. How is Bridge Road staying relevant and keeping that growth going? Or yep. are, are you happy to sort of just fill organically the, the niche that you're at? No, no, we're happy to keep growing. I think you need to keep growing to stay relevant. So you need to have um, physical availability, which means you need to be in, in premises and in customers. But I guess you really got to start off with the beer and the beer is paramount to it and we've got a great product, a great head brewer and a great team that are really delivering on point with that. The shift of focus has probably been more around our marketing and our sales strategy. So um, more and more taking, as we talked about, more and more about our ownership of our sales force and really growing, growing through there, but also being a little bit... Um, more focused on our marketing effort as well so being clear around the messaging that we're we're putting out there because you can be um, inconsistent or not have cut through so we really are trying to work through all those mechanisms whether it's to do with the story of Ben the Beechworth location and our innovation and they're the three things that we really talk about from a marketing and then trying to find the the right things that create a sense of community and belonging. So that could be Facebook, Instagram, um, events we're quite strong in on as well. So um, backing that up with disruptive um, innovation as well is, is some things that we're working on. And by disruptive innovation, you mean things like the Declaration of Independence? That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. So Brewland, um, again, just trying to put it out there. Uh, you know, independence is, is really important. Um, we believe that's part of the decision criteria when people buy our products, and I think they value that. Uh, so, yeah, so that's why you're on sacred ground at the moment <laughs> in Brewland. So I hope you've signed up. Absolutely. It's one of those interesting things. I find it very hard to – like I have a personal – um, preference for independence because that guarantees, in, in my mind, um, a vibrant and interesting industry. Um, and it's not about the quality of the beer, but there's a whole lot that goes with that. But at the same time, I, you know, am sort of very uh, aloof a, a little bit, and I want to know what does independence mean. So, um, Pete Brown gave a very interesting chat at Brucon last year, talking about the difference between craft that had all sorts of passionate arguments um, about what craft is and what it should mean independence just sort of came and everyone kind of knows what it is but nobody's as invested in independence how have you guys found that idea of when you declared independence i know i've got a lot of media yeah but how have you found the response from consumers about what independence means to them and how that resonates yeah i think you get that immediate explosion i think you get that uplift really really quickly but the challenge is to keep talking about it so that's probably what the opportunity for us is to keep talking about it otherwise it leaves some um, people forget about it pretty pretty quickly um, 
you know, we, we know very clearly that locally we're really known as being independent, so we can really build on, build on that strength. Um, but it's a matter of trying to play that out on a bit more of a national scale. Um, I think with the recent acquisitions over the last three or four years, I think there's going to be a, a strong anti-independence sort of fight, I think. The, the majors will probably try to downplay that. So I think it's up to us as independent brewers as well as IBA to really keep talking loudly about it and really, really promote it. And how do you counter that? One of the things, again, as an external observer, watching in the US, we saw Goose Island go and then we saw a whole lot of dominoes fall and when the Brewers Association in America brought out the independence logo, suddenly you had the nine or ten uh, AB InBev breweries, the head brewers, come out with a video because I don't think anyone would say they're not passionate brewers and they're not, they don't take pride in their work, but they seem to be personally stung by the idea that they were no longer part of the club. How do you deal with consumers having that message resonate with them? When you're talking about independence, you're talking about what type of business you are and you can really spell out uh, the, I guess, the, the back end behind it that you have local employment, you know, you're putting money back into the community, you're investing into the sustainability of the future of, 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 the, of the industry as well. So we, we try and talk about it that way. Um, you know, it's, it's still up to consumer preferences whether they value that or not um, we definitely have it on all of our packaging and and we'll keep celebrating it as, as as much as we can and be part of all the all the iba's um, efforts as well but i've always felt that ben probably didn't need an external logo because he was such a walking ambassador for all of those things um, and you know when you've got an independent logo that includes publicly listed breweries or breweries that have got you know 400 investors or you know can um, potentially a, like a multinational mining company but because that mining company doesn't have other brewing interests they can be independent it makes it a little bit harder than ben and maria standing in the you know main street of beechworth saying yeah. we're a family-owned brewery yep i think we do get a bit of a benefit from being in a small town like Beechworth as well so you know it's only 3,500 people so people who are thinking about independence can kind of picture okay that's small and I think the smallness of a town and therefore that community sense starts to play out as well so I think we can kind of leverage and create that sense of community through through I guess a small small country town and and it does feel a little bit like we're fighting against the big guys and the big big guys who are generally in the, the major cities. Um, so we do do quite well to punch above our weights with that. So what does, if you're distilling the independence message down as a business model, what does independence give to the, the community and, and the brewing industry? Uh, in my mind, I think independence starts to create a, a, a bigger um, size beer industry. So whether that's employment or interesting beers, the flexibility to do things, this fast pace, you know, it gives a lot of uh, opportunities for people who are home brewers to move move through quickly into their careers into independent beers as well. So so it really gives um, lots of lots of employment, um, as well as I think it gives the flexibility to do kind of what what we want as well and speed to be able to deliver things. So just stepping out of Bridge Road for a second, um, 
putting your consultant's hat back on, what do you think are maybe the top two or three mistakes that small breweries are making? That you know, if you were um, charging them for for advice, you'll give them free now. <laughs> yeah, they've got to they've got to understand their long game. You know, what is what are they in it for? So, do they just want to be a brew pub and have distribution just within their local area, or do they want to take it to a national scale? So, I think your your investment decisions will be different based on those two two different different ideas. Um, the next thing is probably really understanding your costs, um, really understanding your financials, because while you think you might be making good profits out of that, by the time you load everything else on, you're probably probably not so um, don't compromise on on your price because uh, generally speaking um, customers will be shopping around for those lower lower price and therefore there's going to be no loyalty you 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 might think you're going to get longer distribution and longer loyalty but generally those customers are probably going to shop around as well Um, and i guess the the third the the last thing is really be confident in your product you know, after all, that's that's what we want to want to drink and enjoy. So make sure that it's it's really bang on and the quality's there. Great advice, and we might even share that um, separately. But just before we we, we finish up, and it, it's been a, a fascinating chat. But we are here doing a swing through the high country, um, reminding people that there were um, back in January the, the the fires. What was the impact that you saw um, within the community? Obviously, Bridge Road. Brewers wasn't directly affected, um, but you're part of a much bigger uh, community. What was the impact that you guys saw? Yeah, so we we were really lucky that there was no fires here um, and no loss of life or, or, or property. So we're we're really fortunate because of that. Um, we have had fires in the be- in Beechworth um, over ten years before my time, so it's quite a significant impact on a community. Uh, but for for us, yes, we've you know January is our peak tourist um, time. Um, so this is this is where the venue itself is at, at its busiest. So we were going great guns after Christmas through to the new year and um, growing really well and getting great engagement and um, and then it just fell off a cliff. Um, you know the the advice was not to come to Beechworth and the areas which we understand as well um, and lots of towns were evacuated. So um, we saw our our sales dramatically decrease um, and haven't really recovered. Um, in January at all, um, not likely probably to recover until March or so. Uh, so, so that that's been unfortunate because we know that's that's our busiest part of the part of the period. Uh, the second impact um, also is on our wholesale customers. Uh, they too have either been closed or fire affected as well, so therefore they haven't been able to trade. Uh, so they're, they're they're probably suffering a, a lot more than what what we are. Um, so we're we're doing as much as we can to help them with some free kegs to help you know put money into their pockets. Um, we're donating kegs. We're we're doing a special beer beer aid coming up as well that we're going to distribute through one of the majors. And yeah, so so it's been a, a big impact. We're hoping people will come back um, because it is such a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Uh, but we know it's going to probably take a bit of time. It was one of the interesting things that um, I've noticed is that a lot of breweries have been affected themselves, but there seems to have been greater concern for the community. Or you know, every brewery, we're out 
telling people to get out and visit to the breweries, but the, the broader region as well. And yet each one of those breweries is collecting for somebody else, you know. So yeah. there, there just seems to be an incredibly powerful sense of community up here. Oh, absolutely it is. It is, you know, they support us, we support them. So we know what they're going through. So, you know, we, we want them to be sustainable as well. We want them to have a great business as well. So that's, that's why we're helping them too. Terrific. Well, Donald Mace, thank you very much for joining this conversation and uh, congratulations on stepping into Ben's shoes. Thanks very much. And that was Donald Mace. This conversation was recorded as part of our visit to the High Country Beer Trail after the January fires. And with all that is occurring at the moment, it seems like such a long time ago, doesn't it? But that's why we recorded this series. As time moves on, things can take our attention away from the aftermath of the fires and the impact it had on those businesses. In the case of the current coronavirus outbreak, that's pretty understandable. But for the affected breweries, the current situation is something of a double whammy now, with people all over again delaying travel. And with what's happening at the moment, I suspect there will be a lot of businesses, not just those affected by the fires, hurting after what has been a terrible few months. Small businesses often don't have the resources of large and multinational companies to withstand these shocks. One thing that we can do at the moment is where we have a discretion about where we go and what we buy is that we can make a conscious decision to support small local businesses wherever they are. Your choice doesn't just benefit that business, it has an impact on that community as well. And once things do get back to normal, and they will. Don't forget that there are businesses out there, breweries, cheesemakers, bakers, wineries, motels, B&Bs, and many more that will be genuinely appreciative of your support. And we thank Convoy Kegs for their help getting us out into the high country in early February and providing the support so we could take our empty esky and spend with them. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Crymalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of Beer is a Conversation.